Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. All right. Good morning, guys. Thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be here. Good morning. So Happy to be here. I'm going to take a page out of Jonathan Ellsworth's book from Gear 30 and ask you, how are you today and where are you today? Let's start with you, Keith. I'm doing fantastic because I'm closer to the weekend than both of you. I'm uh, based in uh, Helene, Netherlands, so across the, uh, across the pond. And you, William. I'm actually a lot closer to you. I'm actually in Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, uh, looking forward to having uh, some conversations today. Absolutely. So today we're diving into a couple topics around uh, fabrics with Dyneema, most of which we're going to be talking about the sustainability and the bio-based Dyneema side of things. So it's a, a conversation of three parts, but with the main focus talking about everything that you all are doing there. So let's talk about bio-based Dyneema. Keith, uh, you are the director of sustainability, if I remember correctly, for fabrics with Dyneema, or at least the material side. Uh, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So talk us through a little bit. I mean, many of us are not uh, overwhelmingly um, educated <laughs> on material sciences and, and sustainability in initiatives, um, but walk us through what bio-based Dyneema is. Yeah, I can give a, yeah, a, a overview on uh, bio-based Dyneema, but I think maybe it, it's important also just to highlight a bit on yeah, why did we launch bio-based Dyneema and why is this kind of important to Dyneema, the brand, but also just our, our company in general. And if you look at the, the DSM protective materials business or the, the Dyneema business uh, and flexible composites in general, our commitment is to protect people and not just people, but to protect people and the environment uh, that they live in. So if you think of like a, a backpack or a tent, you know, these products are with people when they're out by themselves or they're uh, out in nature and they need it, not necessarily like a ballistic vest to protect themselves physically, but it, it protects them from a uh, maybe shelter from the rain or from the elements. And what we want to ensure is that these products also protect the environment so that we're not producing products that are uh, damaging to the exact same location that actually uh, our customers in the market are out there to enjoy. So that's that's number one, that we want to uh, preserve the, the, the nature and also where people are uh, yeah, out and about. Uh, and we obviously look at our raw materials that we use to produce Dyneema and we work with our supply chain and our suppliers to uh, really have sustainability at the top of the pyramid. So as, when we have discussions with our suppliers, we, we uh, have certain sustainability requirements for them, but we also discuss with them, hey, do you have any innovations that will not just have an impact on performance level, but also on the this is the carbon footprint impact or the environmental footprint of the product. And in 2020, we launched one of those innovations, which I would call it a supply chain or, or even supplier uh, innovation, which was bio-based Dyneema. And 
to your original question, the bio-based dyneme, it all starts with our raw material. And the, the raw material in this case is ethylene. And we source this bioethylene from, it's a waste product from the timber and pulp industry. Uh, and it's a fully renewable uh, feedstock. So it's coming from also sustainable uh, grown forest where it's constantly uh, regrown and there's no deforestation uh, happening. And during the manufacturing process, this bio-based feedstock uh, we use the mass balance approach. I don't know if you're familiar with that, uh, Jameson, uh, but high level, the, the mass balance approach that we follow is that the bio-based feedstock and our fossil-based feedstock are added to the same production asset uh, to produce the ethylene. So you have bio-based and uh, the fossil-based in the same uh, production location. And this ethylene is the primary raw material used to make the, the Dyneema fiber. Uh, and then once we have the ethylene, we then use that ethylene to make uh, what we call ultra high molecular weight polyethylene powder. And that powder is then gel spun into fiber. And then that, and actually the world's strongest fiber at that. And then that fiber goes into uh, composite fabrics to make these outdoor products, the tents, the fabrics, and, uh, and backpacks. So what's really changing as far as the raw material is concerned, and, and to your question on what is bio-based dynema, it's that raw material, the, the, the bio-based ethylene that's changing from a fossil-based to a uh, bio-based source. And the, the nice thing is, is that it has the same exact performance level. Uh, so it's actually a drop-in solution for... Uh, for our fiber and for our products. That was uh, a comprehensive answer. We're done. Let's wrap up. One thing that I wanted to make sure that your audience is very, very uh, up to date on or very familiar with is we made the decision back in two, 2021 that we were going to move all the DCF products to bio-based. So all the composite materials that you're bringing in currently, as well as, um, you know, the market are our bio-based or sustainable products, uh, you know, using the bio-based Dyneema. Yeah, well, that was, that was one of my first questions is, you know, what products does this apply to? You know, can people expect this only on 292 or on 143 or on 0.6 or, you know, which, which one of these? And, and the answer is all, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. William, hit the, hit the nail on the head. So we... we... <laughs> took the decision to just switch everything. So all fabrics now as standard come with the bio-based Dyneema. Now, uh, you, you kind of mentioned it, William, and, and kind of deciding that in uh, 2021, a lot of, at least something I would have noticed with the maker community is that um, there's been a huge push as a whole. I mean, XPAC is releasing recycled fabrics. There's the challenge uh, fabrics you know, with EcoPack and our UV film and stuff like that. Um, and it, I've heard people say, mention kind of like, oh, you know, Dyneema is also coming to the, to the, uh, to the service now with some uh, sustainability initiatives. Um, this has been a focus of yours at least since 2021, right? But it seems like that process to test out what it would, uh, how you would use wood pulp and these bio, these bio-based things to get to uh, UHMWPE fiber uh, probably took years of research. I mean, at least what was that process like figuring out that you could make the fiber just as strong, but with bio-based things? Keith, that's yeah. probably, you want to start that one? 
yeah, I can start that and then you can, uh, can jump in if I miss yeah. anything. So it's, it's like you say, Jameson, it's been a, it's been a journey. So we started this, I would say even 10 years ago, we, we looked at the, the market and said, and even investors at the time. So now I'm speaking specifically about DSM investors said, well, if you want to do good for the environment, then you don't want to do good as far as performance results are concerned. <laughs> and uh, our company, we took the stance of actually, not only is it possible to do uh, good for the planet, but also to do, uh, or excuse me, to do well for the planet and also to, do, to make good uh, performance results. But in the future, you will have to do both or you're not going to be in business. So that is kind of where it all started uh, approximately 10 years ago. And then more recently, so in the 2018, uh, the protective materials business, so the business that produces the Dyneema fiber, we launched a set of ambitions around uh, sustainability and more in particular, three focus domains. One was around health and nutrition. So it was focused on protecting people and, and increasing the amount of people that are protected with our products. The second area was around climate and energy and using, uh, we have a target of 75% renewable electricity by 2030. And actually we've, <laughs> we've already met and exceeded that, uh, that ambition. So we're above 75% now and, and actually our sites in Greenville, North Carolina in the U S and then our site in Heerlen in the Netherlands, they're both using 100% renewable electricity coming from from wind power. So this is in addition to the bio-based uh, feedstock. And then the, the third area, which I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, Jameson and, and William, that where I think that we and the industry in general has the biggest progress still to make is on resources and circularity. And there we set in 2018 uh, ambition to have 60% of our feedstock on renewable sources by 2030. And then we also set up a industry coalition consisting of customers, but also recycling companies to tackle the end of life. So once the products and we know these products are, are very durable, but at some point they do eventually come to the end of the life. And there we said, as the raw material manufacturer, we need to rely on our customers as well to collaborate with them to, to solve this. And I think that as an industry is one of the biggest challenges that we're facing. Yeah, and, and really to add to that, um, that's one of the big messages we want to get out to your customer base, you know, the DIYers, the outdoor guys, is how can we work together from a circularity standpoint? What can we do? Let's, let's work together as a team uh, to really try to improve and, and enhance what we're already doing. Um, because, you know, the big word of the day is circularity. How can we get in-use products recycled into other materials and save the planet? So, um, yeah, that's something we're, we're very, very proud of, you know, between renewable energies, you know, we're, we're looking at, um, you know, industrial, you know, recycled industrial products. We're looking, you know, fiber. We're also, you know, into bio-based. So we're doing a lot of things and we have been doing them for many, many years that we're very proud of. And how can we take it to the next step? So for, for makers back home that bought some DCF material maybe three or four years ago, is there a comparison or is there a, a number or, or what could you say to those people uh, in terms of like how much more sustainable the bio-based Dyneema fabrics that they're buying now compared to what they had initially? Because I, I know you all, it seems like um, 
the group around Dyneema has always been looking, having an eye towards sustainability, but, you know, fabrics didn't used to have the bio-based Dyneema kind of messaging and stuff. So what, what, what's the difference there in terms of how much more sustainable or, uh, there might be a metric, maybe I'm, maybe I'm making something up. Um, but what's the difference between pre-bio-based and now? Yeah. Yeah, no, good question. So the if we look at it on a fabric standpoint, so keep in mind that the, the fabric is coming with uh, Dyneema fiber, then there's a resin. So there's there's multiple materials that come along with the fiber. And when using the, the bio-based Dyneema, it reduces the carbon footprint of that fabric. And of course, it's going to depend on which, which grade and which type of, of fabric. But in general, it's roughly 7 to 10% reduction on on the carbon footprint so this is kilograms of co2 per kilogram of uh fiber or or per excuse me per kilogram of fabric produced is around seven to ten uh, percent depend again depending on which type of uh, fabric it is gotcha yeah that 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 helps i didn't think about that being the metric but that, may, that makes a ton of sense <laughs> um something that's written on your website about bio-based anema is that it says uh, bio-based anema excels in cut and abrasion resistance and has a high resistance to chemicals and uv uh, is that something that's unique to the bio-based kind of the result of the bio-based fiber or at least that's kind of always been in the maker world the cut and abrasion resistance of dyneema has been something that people question uh right, there's no question in tensile strength right it's unbelievably strong more strong than most people could even know what to do with um but is that something unique to bio-based or is that something that uh is has just improved overall yeah william maybe you want to take that one yeah um you know it's that's something that really is is the claim to fame you know for dyneema and you know there's a lot of really really good characteristics and you know in, in terms of dyneema obviously you get the high strength versus low weight i mean that's kind of our claim to fame our value proposition um and you know we say it's 15 times stronger than steel but can still float on water um you know it does have low elongation it's got high resistance to uv radiation um, it's chemically inert, highly flexible. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that, that it does. It's got high energy absorption. It's non-toxic. You can wash it, bleach it. Um, there's not really much you can do to it to hurt it. Um, and, you know, we really try to design, you know, Dyneema to give the maximum performance from an abrasion standpoint, you know, from a overall tensile tear standpoint. Um, and that has always been intrinsic or part of Dyneema, even before the bio-based. And the one thing that's very important that people need to understand is when you go to BioBase, we're not going to sacrifice or haven't sacrificed any of those properties. Um, so as Keith said earlier, it really is a drop in uh, to what you currently are doing today. Uh, and you should not see any at all, any reduction in performance whatsoever. Um, so all the, all the properties that we're very proud of are still going to be available today as a BioBase product. Yeah. Very cool. I think that's a bit the, the, the beauty of it, actually. So the bio-based switching from the to the bio-based ethylene and that being the primary raw material. I mean, in the end, ethylene is not such an exciting uh, thing. Right. It, actually, where the performance comes in is during the processing step and what we do to gel spin it and then to draw the fiber into a super uh, strong, fully oriented um, molecules. So that's where the, the added strength and the cut resistance is all coming from. So then the properties of bio-based Dyneema and uh, the conventional Dyneema, if you will, stay the exact same. Yeah. 
it, it seems like you all have taken a very holistic approach to understanding sustainability and what it means for your product, right? There's a lot of ways that we can start. For instance, one thing that we're doing is transitioning all of our new um, fabrics to PFC-free. Um, it's a small thing initially, but it's all, well, it's a really huge step in many ways. <laughs> it's taken a lot of time and energy to get there, um, but that's only one uh, one part of the of the circle but it looks like you're taking initiatives in your production in the very um, materials that you're using to produce your actual material like your your carbon neutral or I don't know if it's carbon neutral but you said you're working on uh, like even your facilities and stuff are, are highly sustainable as well um, it is a full like a very full circle effect um, that you've taken to get here yeah exactly and that I think that's an important point that you make because you can't just if you focus on one area, then you may be missing out on another, or maybe you improve in one area and you make another element worse. So we try to look at it as first, what can we do to impact our own footprint? That's always the easiest. Look at your own supply chain, consider your own footprint in production. So switching to renewable electricity, using renewable raw materials. This is all what I would say is the, the easy switch, although it's of course not easy, but that this is something that's in our own domain. So that's obviously where we decided to start. But then we're also looking at uh, and considering other areas outside of our domain and also how we it can enable other companies and, and customers and, and DIYers for that matter to reduce their footprint by offering lightweight materials, durable materials that last a long time, low carbon footprint, environmental footprint, uh, materials like the bio-based Dyneema. And then as far as circular economy, because again, I mentioned that earlier, we, we also are working with uh, downstream with our partners on how can we design the products in such a way that they last and last longer than maybe the incumbent materials that are being used, because that's also sustainable. If you use the product for longer, that means <laughs> yeah. less material that gets produced. Uh, and then once, once it does get to the end of its life, we're also investigating technology around uh, mechanical recycling to reuse it maybe in another application or chemical recycling, which we could spend a whole episode on that, but chemical <laughs> recycling to bring it all the way back to the famous ethylene again, to bring it back to its original feedstock where we could then make the product over and over again. And that's really the long-term vision is to ensure that these products can have an infinite uh, lifetime. And then uh, lastly <laughs> is, uh, and again, it, it encompasses all of this is designing for circularity and designing the products with renewable raw materials, products that last a long time. So all of this I think is basically the holistic approach that, that we try to take. I think that's something that would resonate a lot with DIYers, right? Everyone listening to this podcast really, really likes gear um, and most likely makes a lot of their own gear. Um, and something that I've noticed in the industry since I've gotten here is there are a lot of companies that keep uh, they keep really good track of, of what they waste. I mean, I think of companies like uh, Yama Mountain Gear. We talked to somebody, a couple of people out in Colorado that track their, that keep scraps. Um, they keep what they, even if they have a very small bit of fabric left, they store all that stuff and they weigh it. They, I mean, Yama Mountain Gear every year puts out a report on how much um, they had to throw away, or how much they, they wasted. And I, I think that hits home a lot of people. Um, and it's funny because I would say that in a lot of ways, DIYers uh, 
because we can make gear, we can repair our gear. And a lot of stuff we do fix, which does make it last longer. And also, I have never wasted more fabric than when I started making my own gear. (laughs) Right? Because (laughs) I'm like, well, I could make this one now. You know, then I have to make more than if I were to buy it, I would just wait and buy the one thing. But because I can make it, I end up making two or three. So it does balance each other out a lot. But all that being said, there is a huge push now that people that are making stuff really care about where it comes from. There's a a, a vested interest in, in what you're using um so having the ability you know uh to uh, something that you brought up earlier keith or analogies someone's pack or shelter um you know eventually that's going to be not usable right because there's normally a tipping point where you can repair to some extent (laughs) but if you are doing uh if you're running through the mountains or hiking across you know uh, an austere environment then you're gonna have uh you kind of need to work, you know, so no matter, you can't just like flex it. You need that to support you and protect you to DSM's point. So having something that you'd be able to recycle or, or put back in, uh, I think that talks to a lot of people. Yeah. And maybe a question for you, Jameson. I mean, how do you see that with the, the DIYers that are out there? Because one of the challenges that we've seen, because we've also discussed it with uh, the industry is, on different uh, collection areas and how to get the products back. And then also, obviously when you get the products back, it's, it's usually not because they're brand new, they're, they've been used and maybe they have holes in them or uh, they're dirty. Uh, yeah, do you have any feedback there on, on how these are getting maybe collected in a central spot where you can also build up some of the, the volume? Oh man. Um... I feel <laughs> I feel slightly inadequate, and I've just got to say that I'm not signing uh, Kyle or Carter or any other managers up here if somebody by the role to do anything. Um, but I think that'd be really fascinating, and I do think that they're um, in our last episode we talked with Tim uh, Tim Martino from Learn Myog. And I kind of tease that he's like the world's MYOG tutor. Since COVID, he started putting out tons of patterns. And um, the point being that there's a wonderful community, uh, the word that that we use a lot in that that podcast, uh, a wonderful community around uh, the DIY and uh, MYOG world. Um, and there's a lot of things that connect us. So I do think, fortunately, uh, to your point, doing something like that in this in this community would probably be easier in other places because there's a few central hubs that people go. Like the Reddit MYOG is massive. It's over 100,000 people now. Um, we happen to be uh, what I hope is an authority in the industry. Not that we're the only one. There's a lot of wonderful companies doing things, but um, it's not a massive industry in a lot of ways, right? So uh, if yeah. we're sourcing fabrics, then a lot of people are going to be coming to us. Um, so there's, I guess all that to say, there's a couple places where everybody in the industry is, <clears throat> and it's hard to find, uh, it's hard to find a place where everybody exists in only a couple of places, right? If you're into even hiking, um, there's a million threads, there's a million online communities and trails mm-hmm. and networks, and there's very, it's very regionally based, right? Like I'm in the north, you know, if you're in the northeast and you pr- have a particular style and what you carry changes and your gear changes, um, for MYOG, it's not, uh, everyone, no matter where you are, Colorado to North Carolina, it's not a different style of MYOG, really. You're all in the same community. Um, So to that point, I do think that uh, having a recyclery of some sort or having a place that you can send them into wouldn't be that hard. I don't know if that's us or somebody else necessarily. I I can't begin to say that. That's definitely a CEO level answer. (laughs) But um, I do think that that's something that could interest us and would certainly interest MYOGers. And I mean, to to back up to what we say, I mean, our, our mission is to serve the the small business and the myogers period and if you know if servicing them means that we have to accept gear and that's something that we we might try to do one day or at least help uh you know facilitate 
Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see where the market takes us, right? Where where, where do we go from here? I mean, because we've got lots of companies that are doing a lot of very innovative things, like DSM is a great example of that. And we've been doing it for many, many years. And what is the next step? How can we take it to the next step? Is, you know, circularity, I think, is the next step? And how can we figure out the best way to grow into that? Um, I think that's going to be very interesting to see what happens over the next few years. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really, really fascinating. <clears throat> Something else that I noticed on your website was the ISCC certified. Um, that's a huge certification. I could read it, but I don't want to bore people. <laughs> Can you give us uh, an overview of what that means? Because it does look immense. That's a, that's a ton of work to, to earn that certification. Yeah, it really is. And it's uh, maybe we'll start with what the acronym is. So ISCC is the International Sustainability and Carbon Certification. And it certifies the whole mass balance approach. So I mentioned earlier that the, the bio material is in, fed into the same system as the fossil-based material. And so then the bio-base is tracked on, uh, it's tracked via this mass balance process. It's not something that you measure in the product, for example, uh, and instead it's, it's tracked. And to obtain this certification, it is very difficult. Uh, one of the reasons that it's so difficult is because the whole value chain has to be certified. So all of our suppliers from the ethylene supplier to the tall oil supplier, all the way down to, to where the, the raw material originates, everyone in that chain has to be certified on the on ISCC in order for you to obtain or for us to obtain that certification. And ultimately what that certification is guarantee, guaranteeing is one good and sustainable practices throughout that value chain. So in other words, no deforestation and, and uh, these types of things. And then secondly, it's guaranteeing that the amount of bio-based fiber, bio-based material that we sell and produce, that we don't sell more than what we're actually procuring from the value chain. In other words, that we say, oh, we've sold, uh, you know, millions of tons, and then we only source uh, a fraction of that. So that that's is not uh, possible with this ICC certification. Nor would we do that, by the way. But <laughs> that's essentially what it's what it's guaranteeing. Gotcha. So that that just means that you can't like harvest materials that you are just selling anyway. Like it's an overall plus minus that you have to break even and not just like cut down trees. So you like, oh, we're using bio based materials. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So everything that that we so every kilogram of bio-based fiber that we sell and produce, we have a corresponding kilogram with a small conversion factor for all the raw material, but uh, we source the same amount uh, from our value chain to to account for that uh, the amount that we sell. So. Keith, you are, like we said earlier, the director of sustainability. This is something that you feel passionate about and you're excited about. What is something that excites you the most or what's your overall take? I would imagine you've done a, a ton of work to make all these things happen or continue to support these. What really excites you about the sustainability uh, initiatives that Dyneema has been taking on? I mean, because it's something very close to you, but what gets you, you know, I'm sure there's things that help you wake up in the morning or make you excited. All these things, they, I think to a lot of people, at least they, uh, they're cool to hear, but they're also hard to, we don't really get all the sciences behind like how you're using wood pulp and what that means to turn it into a gel spun stuff and all these things, like it gets yeah. lost in translation. There's a lot of big words. Uh, at the end of the day, what's like the, the short answer for what really gets you stoked about this? Yeah. 
Uh, I think the first things first is the product. I mean, Dyneema, and I'm biased, I'll admit that, but I just think Dyneema is so cool. Yeah. Uh, we invented the fiber. We're the largest producer of, of ultra high molecular weight polyethylene fiber. And what gets me uh, excited is the fact that we're constantly pushing the boundaries of what's possible with the fiber. So we're constantly coming out with material that's stronger, more lightweight, uh, reducing the amount of uh, material, extending lifetime of our products. But then on the flip side, we reduce the footprint in our uh, operations. We're also putting a ton of effort, which gets me uh, really excited as we're putting a ton of effort into developing solutions to recycle these products at the end of life. So, and I think to me, that's, it's remarkable and fun to work for a company that puts emphasis on, even though we make the fiber and we make the flexible composites, we're making the raw material that we put resources and lots of resources into developing solutions on recycling the, the final products that our customers make. And to me, that's uh, exciting because it also comes with a lot of challenges. It requires working with, with customers, working with the supply chain to, to make it happen. So I, I think it all comes back to our history of sort of doing the impossible by even creating this fiber. And now we're trying to uh, do the same thing by uh, recycling these products at the end of life. And, and uh, we have to work with, with everyone to make it happen. So that's what gets me uh, excited. Jameson, we're going to move uh, Keith into sales because he did yeah, a great right. job there. <laughs> that, was, that was a great answer. I, uh, you know, something that we as DIYers and MIOGers listen are listening um, very much resonate with is the passion side, right? You don't sit down and make a backpack and spend like 20 hours designing and cutting, and if you don't feel pretty strongly about things, and and most people that are doing that uh, have tested hundreds of backpacks and walked thousands of miles to get to where they are. So, so your passion, I think is, is coming through even, uh, even through just, just a headphone or just on a YouTube screen for sure. Um, but I think that is, uh, the level at which the group of you all that work on the Dyneema fiber and the composites and the materials and stuff is, is at such a high level, I think. And I wonder if that often gets lost for people. Um, you know, you said, like you said, for the last 10 years, you guys have been working on figuring out sustainable measures to to have a, a circular um, system, to be working all these things. Those are very uh, intangible ways that, that you're working for the, for the industry um, that are not seen as clearly as just a great color or a really great light pack. You know, like these, these things that have Dyneema behind me or Dyneema fabrics, um, these are the tangible ways that all those work, all that, that work has, um, has made happen. But what you're talking about are, are not really very, um, they're not the sexy things that people can touch and feel and look at and be really impressed by. You know, it's not looking at the Dyneema X Mid shelter that's out in the Rockies that just looks phenomenal. And you're like, man, that shelter is bomber and it's super lightweight. You know, a recyclery or figure out bio-based Dyneema does not look the same. But it's cool to know that you all have been doing that work behind the scenes, um, kind of even even as your fabrics have been growing in popularity and everything. So I, I think that's something that a lot of MIOGers will really appreciate knowing is how much work you all have done, uh, even though the fabrics have looked similar over the last several years, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to your point, actually, I mean, we look at it now with the environmental performance being the same as your technical performance. So with your technical yeah. performance, you, you may care about strength, tenacity, modulus, durability, but now 
also you should care about what is my carbon footprint, what is uh, what is my environmental footprint of the of the product, what can I do with this product at the end of life, and that's also in our design process. We implement it very early on when we develop new products. We do a sustainability assessment. We're also uh, working to implement uh, circular transition indicators, also to quantify the impact because like you were saying, sometimes it's tough to have the touch and feel on these things. So it's yeah. also important that it gets, the numbers get quantified, that it's not just words. Yeah, yeah. Because I think- And, and Jameson, just to add to that, we the, these kind of formats that we're doing here, these kind of forums is very important to us to make sure that the community does know how much effort and time we put yeah. into these products. That, you know, the, the technical folks, the, the manufacturing folks, all these people around the world have put a lot of time and effort and energy into making some of the best products in the world. So being able to get out in front of the market and really explaining what goes on behind the scenes, everybody knows Dyneema is a brand. It's one of the best brands in the world, in my opinion. We make an incredibly cool product. You know, and like you said, you see the end use, you see the tent, you see mm -hmm. this, you see that but really understanding what goes into making that product and how much effort and time and, and just, just overall effort that we've done to really make it sustainable, I think is important to get out to the market. And so they really understand what, what we're doing and how we're doing it. Yeah. Cause I think for people that are, have been in touch with Dyneema fabrics for a while um, it appears as though the fabrics have stayed the same right? Like the, the main, the core fabrics that we carry are the, some of the most popular ones. We're talking about 292, 143, 50, all the shelter fabrics, right? 0.5 to one of those fabrics have appeared to be very um, stagnant for a while. And that's kind of the point that I really want to drive home a little bit. And that I'm realizing more and more is that those fabrics look similar, but with, for, with the, all the bio-based work and everything, you guys created a wonderful fabric and a wonderful material. Um, and while you did that, you released that, you said, let's make this even more sustainable. Because the performance, especially for you know the, the, some of the shelter fabrics, there is no comparison, <laughs> right? Like pack fabrics basically just come down to what you feel, what you like, what you're doing. You know, right. and it, there's some... There, there's some uh, back and forth there, but for shelter fabrics, there's nothing that can compare. Um, and what we're all learning now is that we can feel really good about buying it even. <laughs> no, a hundred percent right. I mean, you know, it took years to develop these, these particular fabrics that are, that are performing very well in the market. And, you know, you're right. We, we are constantly looking at ways where we can, you know, grow the, you know, grow the base, grow the fabrics, grow the different things. And, and this product by going bio-based is something that really adds new value to these fabrics. It makes something different. It makes everyone who buys it feel better about yeah. buying these products. You know, the performance, you know, the history, you know, how durable they are, you know, how well they perform in the market, the best brand in the market. Um, but now we're adding a very, very good story to it as well with the bio-based. So yeah. yeah, something to be very proud of. So, in October, William, uh, you were on this podcast with us, with Keith, um, McDaniel. Keith McDaniels, and mm -hmm. uh, we talked about diamond um, and some additional fibers to the Dyneema options. There was a lot said there, and I want to only touch on a very little bit, uh, yeah. as, especially as it pertains to the bio-based. So we talked about diamond. Tell me about what diamond means now and what that means for bio-based. Because from what I'm hearing, diamond also falls into the category of being a part of the mass balance approach and being, uh, you know, bio-based materials as well. So just kind of fill me in, in a, you know, in a layman's way. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we can actually get, um, as everyone knows, we have our regular, the, the original Dyneema that has been around for, for many years. And is that, is that S, SK75? That's the SK series, okay. yes. So in 2012, obviously we developed a new version called Dyneema Diamond. And the main reason for that was improved cut resistance. Um, so we're able to get lower weight, higher cut resistance. And primarily in our glove business and our sleeve business and some other markets like that. Um, in 2018 and 2020, we developed some several new versions of that. Um, like, for instance, our Diamond 2.0, which means we can go even lighter denier uh, with higher performance cut levels. Um, so and as we talked about in October, uh, we are looking at the Diamond products to be combined or blended with other materials for fabric that could go into numerous different applications, such as apparel, such as, you know, different avenues where we can see fabrics. It could be backpacks. It could be, um, you know, different types of industrial fabrics, different types of uh, apparel fabrics for industrial applications, PPE, a lot of different areas like that. So, and what we're doing is we're actually incorporating the bio-based into our Dyneema Diamond. So you could be able to get the same sustainability story in different types of fabrics. So for instance, we, you could combine a bio-based Dyneema, combine it with a hemp fabric, for instance, or you know, a, a, a tensile fabric, which you know, we have a good relationship with, with lensing. So you've got that story with the lensing fiber, for instance, and our bio-based Dyneema, and all of a sudden you've got a really sustainable overall fabric for whatever you want to use it for, footwear, you know, apparel applications, or, or whatever. So um, the good thing about bio-based is it can be done in both our Dyneema Diamond versions, as well as our SK, our regular SK series products. So depending on if it's going into outdoor markets or if it's going into different applications for fabrics, um, we have that option, which is very, very exciting. Because this is brand new, um, the Dyneema Diamond being used as bio-based in our markets that we're focused on, this is something extremely brand new. Okay. And we are currently working with a lot of very, very recognizable brands okay. that are evaluating this Dyneema Diamond in, in there. It's a little early in the process to actually give names because we're still in the development phase sure, of that. Sure. Um, but we have worked in the past and are working today with companies like Levi's and Patagonia and, and companies like that, that actually use Dyneema already in some of their applications. But from a bio-based mm -hmm. diamond standpoint, that is something that's brand new. And we are actually working with a lot of very, very uh, recognizable brands. And we will have some things to talk about in the very near future. That's really cool. Um, Cause if, if I may, uh, Every fabric comes with uh, an overall plus minus. The abrasion resistance is one that has mm -hmm. been uh, a concern for DIYers with, as it pertains to Dyneema fabrics in terms, especially in packs and stuff. Um, so that's something that's, you know, we've already talked about this a lot. If you want to go back and listen, I will link that episode where we talk about Dyneema Diamond and the abrasion resistance uh, yeah. kind of to, <laughs> to nauseam in that episode in a great way. But if you want to hear all about that, that's an hour plus long episode that you can dive into. But that, that has been a concern with people and it is really still very exciting to imagine imagine uh, a Dyneema fiber with extra abrasion resistance. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the good thing about using Dyneema with other materials to blend, to develop a fabric, yeah. you can kind of develop a fabric how you want, right? We've got such great manufacturers that we work with around the world that have the ability to take Dyneema, SK series, regular Dyneema, and or Diamond, 
and use that and develop a fabric to optimize what a customer is looking for. If someone's looking for high abrasion resistance or, you know, because we one of our, our very, very, very big products that we sell both in Europe and the U.S. is moto denims, mm-hmm. which, you know, a moto denim, as you can imagine, is, is motorcycle denim. So it's a single layer product that people are wearing. And if they fall off a bike, obviously you want a lot of abrasion resistance there. So you've got the ability to work with manufacturers to develop exactly what you're looking for, depending on the market. If you're looking for very high tensile, very high tear strength, you're looking for very high cut resistance, for instance, there's ways that you can develop a fabric with sustainable materials to develop exactly what you're looking for. So that's kind of what we're doing now, working with the brands. They're telling us what they want to see in terms of performance. And we help evaluate and determine and work with manufacturers, the optimal Dyneema, for instance, if it's say uh, they're looking for more of a high cut resistance, then we may go diamond. Or if we're looking for just abrasion, tensile tears, we may go SK series. We determine blend percentages. So if if someone's looking for a higher, uh, 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 higher abrasion content or um, performance, higher tensile, higher tears, we may use a little higher percentage Dyneema to be able to, you know, to be able to accommodate those, those requirements. So there's ways that we can work directly with manufacturers to kind of develop what the customer wants. So that that's something that we are very, very excited about on our end. Um, and we really are, are working with some very interesting and very innovative partners in the market. That's really exciting. And I'm, <laughs> I've, I fear that if if you and I get going down this rabbit hole, we could be having a, a three hour a podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> so we'll we'll take the right turn away from that one, but then no less exciting. Um, so I'm here to talk about a lot of the sustainability stuff that Dynamo is doing, then also a couple other things that MYOGers are thinking about and asking us about and concerned about. So I want to ask you because we have uh, an ear to you two guys right now. Um, about uh let's talk about first the sale of the dyneema department so give us uh just give us a brief overview of what that looks like all right so (laughs) as everybody knows um dsm as a company is is a you know they're a bioscience or a health you know uh, nutrition company um and we are part of that group so we are uh that that's kind of one group and then you've got another group that's the material section which we talked about a little earlier um and that's the dyneema portion and back in october of last year or was it september september october time frame dsm announced that they were going to go and put most of their efforts resources into growing their nutrition bioscience business um and they it, it really was the fact that they could not maximize or did, were not going to put the, they were not going to do, not going to invest anymore in the materials business. And we're really going to really focus where they could make the biggest impact, which is on that nutrition side. So they announced back in October timeframe that they were going to divest the materials business. Um, and that we, we, they were going to sell the Dyneema or, or materials business to the best uh, possible partner out there or best possible customer um, or buyer out there. And this past month, they announced that Aviant Corporation was going to be that, that, uh, the one that was going to purchase us. So from our side, we're extremely excited about it. I think it's a wonderful company. They're a materials business. They understand how important the brand is and how much, they, how much that, you know, they, they can take that business and how much can they grow it. They look at Dyneema as a very good brand. They look at it as a way to really grow a big part of their business. 
Um, and so they announced that they were going to buy all the manufacturing people, personnel, uh, you know, the brand, everything is going along with that sale. And it's supposed to close in the second half of this year. Um, and from our standpoint, we're very excited about it because they are a materials business and they understand how to grow a materials, uh, you know, the, the materials business. And so Dyneema as a brand has a big name in the market. So their goal is to really grow that, uh, invest in our business and see where we can really take that brand. So from our standpoint, we're very, very excited. I think it's a very good opportunity for us long term. Um, Avian is a wonderful company. And so we're very excited. I, I think there's, you know, from, from everyone's standpoint in the market, it's pretty much status quo. There's not going to be any, any changes that you're going to see in, in the near future. Uh, what a year from now holds, nobody knows at this point with what's going on in the world. But uh, just from an overall standpoint, I think it's going to be very, very good for the brand itself and for, for Dyneema as a whole. Sorry, sorry, Jameson. Yeah, I was just going to add a couple of things. I think, and DSM has been a great, uh, no doubt. a great home for us, and they're they're just uh, moving into the nutrition uh, sector. So then now we uh, we will soon get a get a new home. And I think, you know, on, in addition to what uh, Williams already mentioned from a sustainability perspective, I think what Aviant is uh, doing and has done also aligns very much with what we're already uh, working on. So there as well. Uh, you won't see a change. This will still be a big focus for us. If you look at Avian, they were one of the founders of the, if I recall correctly, of the Alliance in Plastic Waste. They have targets around uh, recyclable packaging and renewable electricity as well. So uh, here as well on, on sustainability, uh, we're not slowing down, that's for sure. Yeah, they really align with a lot of the goals that we already have as a company, you know, with DSM. So I think it's a very good synergy between the two companies. I think we're going to make up a big portion of their business now. And, and they really, like I said before, recognize that Dyneema has a great brand in the market and, and they're very excited about where they can really take the brand. Um, and so, yeah, we're excited on our end. So from a DIYer standpoint, um, no reason to worry, no reason to stress. Uh, Dyneema's not going anywhere. We're, in fact, we're, we're planning on growing it from here. So uh, we're very, very optimistic on this end. Awesome. Well, you answered my first question for everybody out there. You know, I was going to ask you, know, what, should, what does this mean for DIYers and acquiring uh, Dyneema fabrics and whatnot? So thank you for answering that already. Some of the, the things, and we'll talk about uh, common common questions or that we get at least around fabrics with Dyneema are uh, things such as, as price and availability. So let's tackle the first one there. Price will, will go on uh, to next, but availability of things. Uh, is there any expectation for get you know should DIYers worry or be excited or what, what can they expect about the availability of your fabrics uh, here in the near future yeah absolutely and we kind of touched on this a little bit Jameson back in October but I definitely want to reiterate exactly you know where we are in Mesa in particular because that's where a majority if not all the business that you guys that you guys are selling almost all of that comes from a Mesa facility um over the past year, we've invested quite a bit of money in Mesa. We've really added people. We've added shifts. We've really done a lot to increase the efficiencies in the plant. Um, and we're seeing the fruits of those labors right now. I mean, we really are reaping that, uh, those, those benefits. So we are seeing production levels that we've never seen before um, out of Mesa, which is great news. Um, so just from our standpoint, from an availability standpoint, we are in a, a such a better position than we were just six months ago. 
and we'll continue to get better and better as the months go by. Um, I'm extremely proud of, of Mesa and all the work those guys have done. They've always made a great product, um, but it's no secret there were availability issues, you know, 10, 12 sure. months ago. No, we're not hiding from that. We acknowledge that. Um, but we've made a, a very big effort to improve production capacity as well as, um, you know, efficiencies and things like that. And we are really seeing that bear fruit. Um, so from a DIYer standpoint, there is availability of, of Dyneema. We're working directly like with you, Jameson, you and Kyle and the group at Ripstop by the Roll. We're getting product to you guys every month. Um, so we're very happy of where we are from a production standpoint. So I don't want anybody out in the market stressed about not being able to get Dyneema because it is available. Um, and we are shipping on a regular basis, the products that the market needs. It's, uh, it's not one of our topics today, but it is fun to note just that the fabrics that DIYers get from us are largely us made, <laughs> you know, just a little, yeah. little side note there. <laughs> well, and you know, that's, that's something we're very proud of as well. I mean, the fiber is made in Greenville, North Carolina. Um, and we ship that fiber to Mesa, Arizona, where the fabric is made. So uh, that's something extremely important. And, and, you know, we're, we're very proud of made in the USA. So yeah. not only are we sustainable now, we're also made in the USA. So um, it, it's something that I, I'm not sure, I, or I don't know if all the DIYers actually know that. Um, yeah. So yeah, pretty much every fabric that you guys get comes from, uh, comes from Mesa, Arizona. Yeah, that is, that's a fun little tidbit that is not, I don't think, commonly known, at least not commonly talked about. Right. Let's talk about that, that second piece there, uh, which is the price of Dyneema. The price of, of composite materials has always been something that can be scary for people purchasing materials at potentially upwards of over $30 per yard. Um, you're looking at a high price tag in comparison to other fabrics that you see on the market. Not comparison in performance, but just in general price and whatnot there. Uh, and recently it was announced that the price of Dyneema fabrics would be going up. And, and what we announced just yesterday was about 5 to 15%. Um, nobody likes the price of things going up. It was frustrating right. when gas went over $4 and things <laughs> like that. Um, but nonetheless, is this something that... DIYers should continue to fear. You know, there's, I think, I think all of us expect the price to go up, but it's uh, the scary part is thinking about how much more it can go up, right? The fear is when things escalate further with the sale to the Avian Group with modern <laughs> issues and supply chain problems and price of oil and all those things. Uh, is this something that DIYers should continue to fear, or what could you kind of tell us just to ease our fears about the price going up? Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you know, no one likes to get price increases, um, <laughs> you, you, us included. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we try to limit as much as possible. Um, it, it's no secret what's going on over the past two years, uh, you know, with the pandemic, and, you know, COVID-19 and supply chain issues, logistics issues, uh, labor shortages. Um, we, we were not immune to that. Uh, you know, everyone through the whole chain has has been affected by what's going on over the past two years. No, no question about it. Um, what we try to do is minimize how much we pass on to, to customers. There comes a point where you can't absorb, you know, th these increases. I mean, if natural gas explodes exponentially, <laughs> yeah. we, we have to pass on part of that. And it goes through the whole chain all the way to the end user consumer. Um, so, we really try to minimize how much price increase we, you know, we, we push through. At this point with the Aviant uh, purchase, we, it, it's, 
we, we don't know what's going to happen a year from now. I mean, we don't know what geopolitically we know what's going sure. on in the world. We know inflation is is through the roof. We know that gas prices, you know, oil prices and things like that are, are happening. But we really are trying to limit how much we pass on to and we try to push back as long as possible. We, sure. we want to try to negotiate and try to figure out a way to, to absorb, if not you know, push back on our suppliers and so forth. We try to do everything we can to limit how much goes down the chain. Um, I would not fear at this point. Um, you know, I know we recently announced a price increase, and that was due primarily to what we talked about earlier, labor shortages. We had to increase our, you know, our pay rates at, at the plants. We had to, you know, uh, logistics is, has gone through the roof in terms of costing, oil prices, things like that. So we really tried to limit when we did it and how much we did. So at this point, we don't foresee any changes in the near future, uh, in, you know, in terms of pricing. Having said that, we do not know what's going to happen six months, eight months, 10 months from now. Sure. Um, but there's no secret. We're probably not the cheapest product in the market, but <laughs> with the value that we bring, with yeah. the performance we bring, marketing support, you know, innovations, you know, all uh, sustainability, all the different things that we're trying to do, we try to justify those prices based on performance. Absolutely. Yeah. But at this point, tell your DIYers, do not worry. It's, it's business as usual. Um, and we do not have any announcements today to talk about any price increases. <laughs> Keith, this might be a question for you, um, but merging these two topics of price and sustainability, um, does the bio-based fiber, does that in the long term cost more? Because I don't, I don't think that's something that people would fear if it did. You know, we, we purchase more eco-friendly house cleaning materials that cost three extra dollars per bottle, but it makes us feel better that, uh, that they're not going to kill sea turtles or something. Um, what, what does a state of, what does bio-based Dyneema do for the price of Dyneema fabrics? Cause you know, you instituted this a while ago and there wasn't an increase on, on the fabric price at the time. I don't think when those, like there, we didn't see when bio-based was released, we didn't see an immediate, uh, price increase, I guess is what I, what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So basically if you look at the bio-based uh, Dyneema, it does come, the raw material is more expensive. Uh, and that's, uh, I would say, for on, on the fabric level, it's, it's relatively uh, small because, as I said, there's also other materials and then it's, it's made into a, a fabric. So there it was implemented and then as is, and we basically uh, eat whatever the difference is in the, the cost there. I would say if you look at some of our other markets where again it's just a fiber that's being sold let's say for a rope or maybe for a ballistic vest for example then there it is uh yeah challenging so there we haven't uh and maybe challenging is the wrong word but, but there we haven't just switched every single thing to bio-based like what we've done with the fabrics world uh, and there we also work with the markets on there's some that are willing to pay the, the higher price to, to use the bio-based Dyneema, uh, depending on the different type of uh, market that they're, they're operating in. But I think what you see in the, in the space that we're discussing right now is that it's a must. So you, you have to have a recycle-based solution or a bio-based solution. And that's also, again, the decision that we made is okay, there's no discussion. We just switch everything to the bio-based. But if you look at some of the other markets, then certainly prices uh, can be a challenge, not just for bio-based, but also for recycle-based. 
materials and uh yeah there's always okay i want i want the most sustainable thing and then when it comes to the the cost then that's always another <laughs> another discussion so i think we, we still have some years to go to uh to really have those things both meshed together uh, but we're getting there uh, and totally. you see also companies starting to spec it in like i say this market in particular is essentially spec'd it in saying hey this is important for us this is required so I've used a lot of your time today and I've got one final question really to wrap up with. Um, you guys have been working and in, in seeing work, working with Dyneema Fibers and seeing what uh, people can use uh, with your fiber and materials and things like that for a long time. And there's a lot of really fascinating applications for fabrics with Dyneema, you know, from the cycling jerseys that are used in the world tour to high fashion things to um, like the Patagonia workwear denim with uh, Dyneema fiber in there and shoes and all sorts of crazy things. Um, it's sort of a, maybe an obvious question, but I'm really excited nonetheless, and maybe it'll make it in the final, but what is your favorite application of Dyneema that you've seen? Is that a really rad backpack or tent or just what's, what's an application you've seen uh, Dyneema fibers or fabrics used in that was just fascinating to you? Hmm. I know I'm pulling I you super to, off the cuff here. I, yeah. I defer to Will, to William. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. It gives me time to think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it's interesting, Jason, because you kind of summed it up. We we go into so many different markets that it's it's very interesting from, I don't know if anybody knows this, but, you know, we're in Formula One racing. We, you know, Dyneema combined with with carbon fiber for the, for the noses of the Formula One race cars. You know, we're in sailcloth. We're in... Uh, you know, we're, even the baseball nets, we're in half the MLB stadiums, you know, for the nettings in, you know, in baseball stadiums, um, uh, you know, and, and obviously I, I'm kind of biased because I'm a, I'm a big outdoors guy, too. Uh, I really love, you know, the, the tents uh, that some of our customers have produced. I think some of the cool, uh, you know, some of the cool backpacks that I've seen. But then also kind of what, you know, where we're going in the fabric side, I think could be very, very exciting just from an, an overall apparel standpoint. Um, but gosh, that's a hard question because we go into so many different things, you know, between aquaculture and, you know, uh, mooring ropes. I mean, it's just a, a good story. I don't know if anybody remembers the, the big ship in the Suez Canal that was that, what was that, about six months ago where the, the ship was you know, stuck in the Suez Canal, and that was a, a Dyneema rope that that freed it, you know, and I don't know if you remember the, the Italian cruise ship that turned over, or uh, the cruise ship and uh, turned over in Italy, and that was our ropes that that kind of rescued that boat, so it, it's amazing at where this stuff goes, and, and, and what kind of performance you get out of it. Yeah, and uh, William took a, took a lot of the, uh, the applications, <laughs> but that'll... Uh... <laughs> But one of the ones actually that you mentioned that I that is one of my favorites is uh, is the baseball netting. So if you look at the, across the the Major League Baseball stadiums, there was actually a big debate a couple of years ago. You, there was unfortunately a lot of fans that were being injured from foul balls, and it's usually fans that are sitting nearby third base or down the first baseline. And there's always this debate of, well, if you extend the netting, then I can't see the field and, you know, you pay top dollar to sit there. And of course, in comes Dyneema where it's literally, they call it uh, often in that industry, kind of the invisible netting. So if you go to pretty much any ballpark or any major league ballpark in America, that's actually 
Dyneema that's protecting the fans and also protecting your vision as well. So that that one is always cool just because baseball is one of my favorite. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah. it's always cool to see it uh, there. But, but, you know, just to add to it, we're always looking for new markets. So uh, we, we always are looking for the new market. So, uh, so yeah, we're very proud of the brand. That's for sure. Well, I'm really excited by this conversation um, as a whole. It's been really enlightening for me, and, and I hope it has been for all the people listening at home or on your commute or while you're sewing or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, thank you for taking uh, this large chunk of time to, to chat with us and the DIYers as a whole. I think it's really important that um, one thing that we get the privilege of doing um, that I hope we continue to do and, and do well is is help uh uh, represent the stories and that that some of these bigger brands are working on. I mean, Dyneema is a huge name, and you guys are working with industries much much larger <laughs> than the MYOG industry. Um, but you still take the time to talk with us, and we really appreciate that because uh, it is a small community, and I think people very much feed off of the personal passions and stories uh, from people that are, are that are around. You know, we're, it's not been an industry that's kind of been infiltrated by large uh, corporations yet. So we really appreciate it when when uh, people from DSM or, or future Aviant or you know, large companies uh, are willing to share some time with us and, and talk with DIYers because uh, it is a very passionate base and it's growing. It's something that we're working on a lot. There's, there's going to be a lot more DIYers in the next five to 10 years, uh, no doubt about it. So I'm excited that uh, there's there's still attention on on the smaller groups for sure because uh, we, we very much appreciate your time and all the answers you've given us. Yeah, and one thing on this end is we appreciate Rip Stop by the Roll for letting us do this. I think it's important that, you know, we get our story out to, to your group because we don't have these, you know, specific conversations with a lot of DIYers. We rely on, on folks like yourself to, to, you know, to have that bridge to the DIYers. So we appreciate, you know, the time and, and uh, you know, we appreciate all the DIYers out there who use Dyneema. Um, you know, we're, we, we love the product. We think it works great in this market and, and we're very excited about kind of where the sustainability story is going and we appreciate you guys. Thanks for all the, thanks for everything. I was going to say, thanks for having us. And unfortunately, you know, the, the DIYers that are listening, we can't hear their questions <laughs> or feedback. So also there, Jameson, if you, uh, get the feedback directly, we're also happy to, uh, engage there and, and curious to hear, uh, people's thoughts and feedback. Yeah. Well, I can't take very much credit. It's a, a massive credit to everything that Kyle's done and Carter have done and uh, a ton of people, everybody, everybody else here. But, yeah, we're excited. But uh, all that said, thank you so much for sharing this time to us uh, today, guys. Well, thanks, Jameson. We appreciate it. Bye, guys. Uh, thanks, Jameson. Take care. Bye-bye.